All right. Welcome back to episode 27 of the 20 Pages Book Club. On today's episode, we're going to go through a quick weekend recap. We're going to finish up uh, The Road, our first book first book of 2024. We're going to give our thoughts and our scores. Interested to see where this one lands. Uh, then we will compare the movie versus the book. Um, if you haven't watched the movie, make sure you go ahead and, and watch The Road. It was released in 2007. And then you can compare it with the book with us. And then uh, Kevin's going to help us decide our next book. He's got five or six books to put into the wheel. And from there, the wheel is just, and we'll decide what we're reading next. So looking forward to another great episode. Let's go. All right. Welcome back. Episode 27. Um, I know we have a lot to cover today um, and the group kind of decided since we're all we were all bums this weekend and really didn't do anything. Uh, our weekend recap was not very exciting. I don't know if it usually is to the to the, those listening, but uh, so we just said we're all bums and we'll just go straight into into the book. Um, I know uh, this, this is only a two meeting book for uh, the road since it was pretty short and a kind of a quicker read. Um, could someone remind me what page we left off on last? 138 138 yeah so if you have if you haven't read up to 138 make sure you go back listen to the first episode uh, where we discuss those pages um and yeah let's get into it let's uh, finish this book and uh, see where it ranks just to remind everyone we left off uh they had just discovered something and we're beginning to dig it up all right with that we begin the boy and the man walked into the bunker all they could see was crate upon crate filled with food and other resources. For dinner, they enjoyed canned peaches and pears, soaking in the ability to eat healthy. Uh, from there, the man put the kid to bed in the nice bunk. He reflected on the fortune, but decided that they couldn't stay here for long. People would come for it. In the morning, he and the boy shared another nice meal. The boy thanked God for these people that left these things behind. From there, the boy was given a bath in the daylight. They picked up a new cart. Returning to the bunker, the man shaved and went to sleep. He awoke suddenly. He dreamed of creatures, presumably aliens. Uh, he thought of his existence. He partially regretted finding his this cash. He wanted it all to be over. Okay, this is a me break. <clears throat> Forewarning, I don't really remember what I put in all of these. So. I can back you up. Oh, okay. Never mind. Uh, why, what is the significance of the boy thanking the people? the food from the bunker why does the man decline to the boy why does the man ask the boy to give thanks instead of giving thanks himself i think we kind of talked about it last last meeting where the boy is kind of like the positive light where the man's kind of this negative and like it's like a pure survivalist and that makes sense so he's i i don't know i don't i don't know the exact yeah the boy is like word for it, but yeah to the to the outside world like he he hasn't experienced the the normal time so he doesn't know like he doesn't know what normal is and just assumes this is normal so he's kind of oblivious to he has no recollection of what the world was like before so this is the world he knows and then he's just he still has like that thankful and positive mindset whereas the father knows what the world was like before and then knows what it's like now and is like wow this is this is tough. Like this is terrible to live in. The man is also yeah. super skittish. Like they could have stayed there for so much longer. Like 
and looking at it like like especially in the movie the way they depicted it like they could have literally lived there for so long but because i mean the main name name of the game is that you're trying to find food and they found the food and then they decided to leave leave the food as soon as they found it like after three days like I it think, just didn't make a lot of sense to I me. think the reason he does that is because he only has one purpose in living now, which is getting to the coast. Like, that's the goal he's given himself. So anything that deters him from getting to that coast is, like, ultimately not in his head as their journey that they're supposed to take. Now, why they're going to the coast is never exactly given, but um, it's just, like, it, it's in his mind that they have to reach the coast. So I think that's why they ultimately didn't stay there. Um and then ultimately, once he gets to the coast, his journey's over. Bookends, world credits, you know, type thing stuff. Nice, nice. Right. I I read this part after the after Tyler had talked a lot about the religious side of, and how the man was always mentioning God. I kind of read this part as like this being almost like temptation, and especially with the apples right beforehand. And I thought they were gonna get like tempted and then greed. Like this is a part where greed could have taken over and then they could have been found and killed because in the movie they hear the dog which i mean we'll get to the movie and stuff but i don't think that was mentioned in the in the book but uh in the movie at least they were being followed so i think that's also another part of why the the man is so skittish he just thinks they're always being followed yeah. and he's looking at this as like temptation and he doesn't want to get too greedy good point any other thoughts before i carry on all right um, the following day, they prepared the carts for the road. It was time. With uh, the first glimpse of sunlight, they left the bunker. The man told the boy they were 200 miles from the coast. At least that was his estimate. Just as they reached the outline of a city, they stopped for a rest. The boy asked if they had any long-term goals. The man was baffled, but admitted that he didn't know. For a couple hours, the boy noticed a man walking in the road. They chose to follow him. It turned out to be an old man, and the boy was fascinated by him begging his father to help feed him, eventually convincing him the older gentleman would join them for the night. His name was Eli, or at least we're told. Upon Camp Lake, they discussed life with Eli. He told them that he always knew something like this was going to happen. The man asked Eli if he wished he had died. Eli respond responded that beggars can't be choosers. It just is what it is. Nobody wants to be here, and nobody wants to leave. They then discussed if they would know if they were the last ones on earth. The man said only God would know, and Eli responded that there was no God and that we were his prophets, which I, don't, I was very confused. But from here, the man starts to get suspicious of Eli, confronting him about how uh, he has survived and his real name. Eli admitted that the name he gave was fake, but that he didn't trust anyone to speak of him. Eli explains that when he saw the boy, he thought he was dead. He hadn't seen a child in so long. Capping off that, uh, the world will be better, a better place when everyone is gone. In the morning, they gave the man a little bit of goods and went on their way. Go ahead, Kevin. Nah, you go first. <laughs> okay. We got the same question, so I just let, I'll let you go because I want to answer. I Eli is such a conflicting character to me. I don't know what his purpose is. I want to know what you guys think. The name choice is religious, but then <laughs> did I even finish this thought? Oh, uh, the name choice is religious. <laughs> the name choice is religious, and then 
he seems to come from religious origins like he's very philosophical but at the same time he believes in no god so i was curious what you guys thought of eli and why mccarthy chose to include him in the story he almost seemed like a prophet almost like that he was like a like kind of sent to meet them i don't know what it really proved honestly i couldn't figure it out maybe i'm too stupid to realize it but i I looked up some stuff i found this book honestly this is such i like when we get to our book review i have such like a wide variance of how i felt about this book like there's some things i loved and some things i hated but i love reading about like little hidden like symbolism and like stuff like this and so i started researching stuff and then so apparently eli is a hebrew name that means high or elevated which so like jared i feel like you're kind of right in what you said how he's like almost a prophet but then it's really weird how he says like he just keeps claiming there is no god and then he also starts talking about like how would you even know one of the big things he hit on was how would you know if you were the last person on earth and then they were like well i guess you wouldn't because you like you couldn't possibly know you were the last person and then that kind of sounded godlike like he would eli would know if he was the last person because he's like god sent or is god i don't know this part this character confused me a ton and then i was and then at the end he's just like yeah my name wasn't eli and then they just part ways and i was like huh why would why would they include this in the story i feel like tyler's gonna have a good take no i i, I don't i th- i remember eli being yep. in the bible uh somewhat like as a, there's a character eli i had to look it up because i honestly there's two. don't know there's two religious characters uh it's confusing too the 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 one that was um helping raise samuel and the bible is that is that his story is that he starts to devalue god a certain point which i think this character is sort of facing on um so i definitely there's some religious subtext here i don't know if he's trying to make a whole big religious point with him necessarily um i think he just presents a different mindset to what the characters are currently experiencing and that ultimately that difference challenges our characters in some sort of way i I mean it's all symbolism as kevin said so i don't you know the alternative that i kind of thought of is that he was a prophet of death possibly um he he mentions like knowing that this was going to come eventually and they talk a lot about death and wonder how would you know if you're the last person on earth that's the only thing i could conjure up uh i guess the other alternative is tyler knows this reference but uh he's a tom bombadil character where he adds no real significance to the story and he kind of just deters the reader and uh you just left the confusion out yeah at what he's actually meant to represent i I am reading a uh christian website right now because i looked it up all year like with the paragraph (laughs) i read this also really christianity.com yeah, it makes no sense oh i thought you meant uh spark notes no 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 i read the spark notes one <laughs> all right uh perhaps saddest of all is that even when eli was confronted with the reality of pending judgment he didn't seem to comprehend or care willing to take the consequences of neglecting god in his heart he revealed himself as a man who had let god slip to last place in his affections 
kind of sounds very similar to the character uh were were uh mentioned here so interesting okay i uh i when i read this book i found myself like finding a lot of parallels to almost hinduism too with the karma system i don't know like obviously you can just rec uh like relate it to obviously old age after we find out what happens to the man at the end but the boy's good deeds are, are and like the way he treats people is rewarded in the end whereas the old man is or the man is not i wonder if that had anything to do when he was reading it but just kind of the way it plays out after i read it i was kind of trying to draw i don't know if you, any of you guys kind of saw anything similar to that like anything away from maybe like other religions i don't even know how many other religions like we wouldn't even know but yeah i'm not well versed enough in I'm not even well versed enough in the Bible, you know. So it's yeah. stuff. Um all right, I'll carry on. Uh sorry, I lost my place where we stopped. There we go. All right, thanks, Kevin. The boy and the man continued on their adventure. The boy confronted the man about making fun of the old man, telling him that he was going to die soon. The man admitted that was true. At night the man awoke in a violent cough. He ventured to get more dry leaves for the fire. He admitted to himself that his time was also coming to an end. In the ward the bad news continued to compile. The gas tank had emptied. It was it would be cold food for a while. The boy discovered that it was his fault for not turning the valves, but the man bore the blame. After a few more nights, the man awoke to the boy telling him about a train. The train was a giant diesel followed by eight passenger carts. It had clearly been there for a long time. The man took the opportunity to take the boy into the locomotive and simulate the train noises. From there, they stumbled into town. The man updated his map and plot and plotted that it was two to three weeks until they reached the sea. They settled in a shed for the night. The boy awoke shaking. He told the man that he had a bad dream, that the man was crying in his dream. Carrying on, they encountered three strangers in the road. Uh, they pressed about the contents of their cart, but stood down when the man pointed the pistol at them. At night, they settled. However, the man caught a fever. For nights, he endured agony. After a few more, he decided that they must carry on. Painfully, he walked, stricken with sickness and diarrhea. In addition, he could feel a distance building between the boy and him. Ultimately, they encountered a group of, uh, of bodies. Despite the man's objections, the boy decided to look at them while they passed. They settled, and the boy and the man agreed that someone was following them. They would camp out and look for them. In the night, the group passed them, three men and one pregnant woman, looking ragged like them. In the morning, they seemingly caught up to the group. However, they left a burning fire. That was odd. However, the boy discovered something. A charred infant body. It had been gutted for food. Um, they settled by the river for the night, purely because he thought that it would cheer the boy up. There, they let their last provisions a little later on, drinking their last good water. The boy says that they could have taken the little infant if they would have encountered it. The man avoided the conversation, asking to carry on. He asked the boy if he wanted to ride in the cart. He said no. The man pushed that then them towards a house on top of the, the hill. They needed to check it out. They were out to food. Despite the boy's protest, the man explored the house. There they enjoyed some food that had been stored in containers. It was their shelter for several nights. A lot there. Yeah, so something I was in, I was in charge of the environment stuff after our last conversation. I didn't really chime in with that stuff just because we went in detail about Eli. Uh, something I did noticed though was the the boy and the father having a conversation about stuff being left in the street that's like charred and burned to ashes and the boy asks uh they were trying to get away weren't they papa and he says yes they were and then 
little boy asks, why didn't they leave the road? And he said they couldn't. Everything was on fire. So Christian's take about the volcano, I think it was Christian, the volcanic eruption, possibly, or because we never actually do find out what happens. But it seems like that's that could be what what was caused, what caused the the fire and the flames. Um, and then kind of a question I wanted to pose. Do you think there's any sort of, Jared kind of touched on this a little bit with uh, about the karma system, but is there any sort of symbolism maybe between the man and the boy where the man is almost, he's super hyper-focused on the boy and his well-being, whereas the boy is more focused on everybody that they encounter's well-being and not just like themselves. Do you think there's any like symbolism or meaning to that? I guess. I mean, are you you saying that to the man, the only thing that matters in the world at this point is the boy and to the boy, the world that he's going to inherit and be a part of matters to him. So he matter like ultimately, actually, now that I say that out loud, I think you're right, because the boy cares like once we get deeper into the story, he cares about um, um. They encounter some people and the man does some unjust things uh, to a thief. And ultimately, the boy is the one that cares about the actions because he's the one that has to live in the world. And he wants to have a better world for himself to live in. And the man is only solely focused on the boy's survival. So I think you're right. Long story short. Yeah, there's a quote after that where the boy or the man says, you're not the one who has to worry about things. And then the boy responds how he is actually the one who has to worry about things. And I think it's just the fact that the man has lived this whole life and he's had plenty of time to do good deeds. And he's not fully worried about doing good deeds now. He's more so worried about um, boy. And those are his things that he has to worry about. Meanwhile, the boy has a whole life to live and he wants to live a good life, even in the world that he's been brought up in. Uh, so those are the things that he has to worry about. And that's why he kind of shoots back at his father. Uh, and I think you get kind of the the difference in their perspectives of their current predicament in that conversation. Yeah. I mean, and then the section I just read, we start, I think this is where the book really progresses. And we'll get to the movie because the movie sort of does something else. But the book really progresses here and shows the boy starting to break off and become his own person. Up to this point, he was like an attachment. You know, he's a backpack, basically. Um, But at this point, he starts to grow his own conscious and really speak up for himself and become his own character in a way. Yeah, I like that. That quote that Christian brought up, that was one of my I like stopped reading and I was like, what does this mean? Like I couldn't. And then in the movie, he says the exact same lines. And I was trying to figure out there was some like higher meaning to it. And the only thing I could really think of was kind of what Christian alluded to, but that the man's like, I'm the one that's to worry about any, everything is in like between the two of them. But then the boy is more like, no, I have to worry about everything in terms of like you harming mankind and harming other people and yep. being this, this like devilish figure almost. All right. With that, I'll carry on. Uh, from the house, they ventured onto the road with their canned goods, new blankets and wheelbarrow. For days, they traveled until they reached the sea. It wasn't blue to the boy's disappointment. Despite that, they sat on the beach and talked. The boy focused on saying that they needed to retain that fire. The boy then took the opportunity to swim. Uh, With that complete, they set out looking out upon the ocean. 
A while later, the man decided that he was going to swim to the nearby ship, leaving the boy alone with the pistol. Despite the boy's protests, he began to swim. Once he reached the ship, he found airtight doors. After some work, he was able to pry them open. Inside the ship, it was clearly untouched by humans, but the sea had done damage. From there, he took an opportunity to wave at the boy from the ship. Uh, back in the ship, the man was able to scavenge some clothing, a bottle of gas, and some odd ends. Returning to the deck, he spotted the boy again, this time walking with his head down. Returning down, he made his last pass through the lockers, collecting rope and some old but edible food. With that, he returned to the sea and ashore. He was greeted by the boy who was crying. He had left the pistol. Quickly, they returned to the site the boy had left it, and the pistol still remained. Okay. Uh, twice now. Once with the gas, and now with the pistol, the boy makes a mistake, and the man takes the blame. The man wants the boy to so badly understand how to survive on his own. Why does he do this when the boy is so obviously a motor moron? It's a good question. Great question. Bad parenting. I mean, this goes back to what I said, but the boy... Like, the man will do anything for the boy, for, like, his well-being and his, like, to have him have a good conscience, where, like, he gets so hyper-focused on him, and he, I think he, the question he asks himself in the beginning of the movie, and I can't remember, I think he asks it, he definitely asks it in the beginning of the book, when he says, when the time comes, will you be able to do it? And he's talking, he's not talking about using the gun on somebody else, he's talking about, like, shooting the boy, and I think his there's a conflict like an inner conflict with him where he's he's scared of like he goes back and forth should he reprimand the boy and like teach him how to survive or is he gonna let him like is he even gonna let him survive on his own or once he's gonna die is he just gonna kill the boy because he doesn't want him to live on his own in this world and potentially have bad things happen to him yeah all right they now pursued their tarp and their beach encampment. However, tough rain came, um, and their tracks were... Del oh, whoa, whoa, am I reading the right part? Yeah. Yeah, all right, all yeah. right. Sorry, let me read that. Sorry, I'm not sorry. They now pursued their tarp and their beach encampment. However, tough rain came, and their tracks were deleted from the beach. Despite the inability to see, they heard the rain beating off the tarp. With that, they took shelter and fell asleep. The next day, they spent unloading more supplies from the ship. The man would take trips out, and the boy would reel in the supplies with the rope. However, the work was putting a toll on the man. He continued to cough up blood. He decided to take one more trip, this time securing a flare gun, flashlight, and first aid kit. Returning to the shore, the boy questions the man about the existence of people in the world, how many were left. The man said he liked to believe that there were still people out there carrying on. More importantly, they would find them. They ended the night having some fun shooting the flare gun over the waterway. The next morning started very poorly. The boy awoke sick. He immediately puked, and his temperature continued to rise. They carried on for the next 48 hours, and the man feared for his health. The first aid kit didn't provide much relief. He continued to aid the kid, but he was barely holding on. The fatigue was getting to him, and his cough was getting violent. Thankfully, the next morning, the boy began to heal. He took the opportunity to drink a lot of water and even tease his dad. His father asked him if he remembered going to the boat. He responded that he wasn't retarded. That's in quotes. Uh, after that, the boy really started to heal, and they went about regular activities. 
Just at this time, they got struck with robbery. Someone had stolen the cart. With swiftness, they took to the road to try and scout the robber. Tracking the sand left in the road, after a while, they caught the man. He was bent over the cart, tired from exhaustion. The man took out a knife, but seeing the gun pointed at him made him drop it. He begged to be let go, and the boy agreed, telling his father to leave the man alone. Let him walk. Despite the boy's cries, the man forced the robber to strip naked. Uh, the boy continued to protest, begging his father to spare the man. The man stood firm. In his eyes, it was either him or them. With that, they left, leaving a man to die in the middle of the road. However, the boy continued to protest, and they turned around, calling for the man who didn't appear. After a while, they called it off, leaving his clothes in the middle of the road. At night, they settled by the campfire. The man broke the silence, saying that he didn't plan to kill the man. The boy turned a cold shoulder, responding much later, but we did kill him. Damn. <clears throat> okay, this is my favorite question. Uh, we've seen the man turn to violence and evil in times of necessity. In this situation, it seems beyond necessary to take the thief's clothes and clearly a tit-for-tat strategy employed by the man. Why do you think he commits this act now? He even says it, fear. Like, he's like, the boy and him start arguing, and he's, the boy's biggest point is, Papa, he's scared. And then the Papa says, but I'm scared too. I think it was like a, that he almost lost like all his hope at that point. Like they only had the gun, and if they would have lost all that stuff, then hope would have been and i think he's also kind of panicking because they got to the shore and there's nothing there and so his whole the boy mentions long-term goals when the he picks it up from his dad and this is also another interesting side part and now i'm just going down a loop the long the long-term <laughs> goals was brought up by the father but not in the book so you can see how the father has gone from having like these long-term goals to just trying to survive day to day and i think this part when he gets to the to the sea and he realizes like this was his basically his goal was to get to the shore and now that he got to the shore and saw there was nothing i think he's starting to panic also i still think that go ahead go ahead Ty. i think uh i think ultimately uh, uh the this is the first point where the boy realizes like they'd use the phrase we're the good guys constantly throughout the book and I think this is the first point that the boy truly realizes that his dad maybe isn't necessarily in the right or good all of the time. While the boy uh, definitely has seen the right side through everything, has always been, you know, the person performing in the right. And this is the first time the dad outwardly with his actions betrays what he's been telling his son, hence why he gives him the cold shoulder um, at night. Uh, I was going to say that I think the man knows that he's, his health is deteriorating. And I think he stand he draws his line in the sand and, and hopes to kind of get it across to the boy that not everyone's going to be nice to you or like whoever you come across when I'm gone and kind of hopes to teach his, his son some more lessons, I guess, before he's gone. That's still kind of the way I, I viewed it like he's trying to get his last message across before he's gone because he can feel himself kind of deteriorating internally. Another thing that's interesting going off this part is the whole book. The boy is saying like, we're looking for like other good guys, right? And the dad's like, yeah. And then they make a big point about the good guys and the bad guys. And I feel like they encounter so many, so many more good guys in this book and in the movie 
and the father like never is accepting of these other good guys. Like he never wants to bring him in, but the son always wants to bring him in. And then the second, not to spoil the book, but the second, the son's on his own, and he like the first good guys he finds, like he instantly, like open to joining them. Which I guess it's different situation. He's on his own now, and he's a kid, but. She's re-say that because I muted my mic too. Eat Jesus for the beers. Uh, the kid definitely represents, uh, you know, a sense of hope and humanity, you know, a positive light in the world, while the man kind of represents this cynicism that we develop as we get older and how the world kind of scars us and how we view it. So there's definitely some symbolism in terms of the way the boy treats the world and how he acts and his actions and how the man has been beaten by the world and ultimately... Um, can't view the world in the same light that the kid does. I don't think neither is necessarily right or wrong. It's just how we roll through the world. Any other thoughts before I carry on? Nope. Okay. Uh, moving forward, they now carried a cart full of some supplies. Despite the supplies, there was no, now clearly a rift between the pair of them. Despite the silence, they carried on through a nearby town looking for key supplements. Suddenly, an object came flying by them they dove for cover, however, it wasn't enough. The man was struck by an air arrow in his leg. However, he didn't panic. Quickly, he raised the flare gun at the window, shooting the shooter when he repeats. Some nice cod action there. Setting him on fire, reloading the gun, he ran into the house. Inside, he found a woman crying over the body. She cursed him, but he quickly left. Down the road, he began to look over his wounds. The arrow had done damage and worked quickly to stitch himself. He was stable for now. For the next couple of days, the man took the opportunity to try and heal both physically and his relationship with his child. Despite attempts, the child refused to engage in meaningful discussion with the man. The kid no longer felt that they were the good guys in the stories. The man, that the man hadn't done the right thing with the man that had stolen their cart. With that, they decided it was time to carry on. The man continued to get worse with his other conditions. Uh, they had to stop more frequently. The coughing and the blood increased. Uh, down the coastline, they went... Uh, until the man could walk no more. They stopped along the water. He could go no further. He would die here. The boy tried to aid him, give him shelter, but the man protested at all. He had accepted death. He told the boy that he had to carry on by himself. He had to carry the fire and keep going south. The boy protested that he didn't have the fire, but the man said it was always within him. The boy begged for the man to take him with him, but the man said he didn't have the heart for it. He never did. In the morning, his father had passed. Damn. Pour one out of work. Uh, Early nominee. So I had a quote that I thought was, I didn't, I didn't actually re like realize what it was saying the first time I read it. And then I kind of reread this section a little bit and I was like, wait, what? This, that didn't make sense. So it was when they were crossing the, the bridge or the bridge had collapsed in front of them and they were like, there was water underneath and they were looking out to like the country beyond trying to figure out how they were going to cross it since there was no bridge now and it says what are we going to do papa he said well what are we said the boy so the man calls yeah. the kid papa i caught what that you guys too. think i didn't know what to think of this at all my brain kind of when was this again this is like he's about to die like he's coughing up blood like limping and they come to a they come to a collapsed bridge. It's on page two seventy five. Towards it's like the last two lines. Um, they they're about to cross the bridge, and then 
so there's water and i don't know if the man maybe couldn't cross it because he was just too injured but they were like looking out over the horizon and then the man asked the boy like what are we going to do papa and then the boy was like well what are we and i was like what what is this even like what's happening and i didn't really catch it the first time because i thought like what are we going to do papa he said i thought that was the boy and but then the next time for the readers 275 but then the the response is well what are we said the boy and i was like wait what did the boy speak twice or i think i do remember that now that you bring that up i was i had to reread it and i still don't understand it now that now that you mention it i think (laughs) i'm guessing it's just like uh my only thought was it's like a reversal of roles so like the man has got to yeah like yeah symbolism for now he's taking the, the torch we we do better than I was gonna say we get some perspective changes in terms of how it's being narrated to us, like in the near end too. Like it switches to second person in the last paragraph. There's parts of this book I feel like switched to third person limited instead of third person omniscient. So it's very it's very weird. We get a lot of shifts. Knew that we need we right. <laughs> we we need an English lit teacher in here basically. Real readers now. Yeah, part of the, parts of this book like brought me back to English, AP Lang and English lit. Like, this this book kind of definitely like, sweeps in English classrooms around the country. Like when you when the teacher asks the question, there's no kids are <laughs> uh, an, an so obviously yeah, they're looking for one answer that nobody can give. And then the teacher just gives you the answer on what it means, Tyler. Um, there was another part where <laughs> there was also in this section, there was the part where the boy started taking care of him when he couldn't like get up anymore. He started talking about like there being a light around the boy and then like, so just more of that angelic symbolism of like light around the boy. And then, uh, the father said, there's no prophet in the earth's long chronicle. Who's not honored here today. Whatever form you spoke of, you were right, which I don't know what that means, but Sounds religious. Yeah, I, I can't get started getting really started getting really weird around this point. And I was like, I didn't, I stopped understanding what was being said. So, all right, I'll, Tyler was also Tyler was correct about the last paragraph. I was lost. They mentioned the the trout uh, before in the book, and I was confused. I think it was when they were at the waterfall. And then they mention it here again, and I was uh, my I couldn't comprehend. A lot of lot of lot of trout, a lot of scales. All right, I got one last check, uh, paragraph here to read, and then we can talk about the book as a whole. Uh, the boy waited there for three days. He wasn't ready to move on. On the third day, a man approached. A shotgun slung over his shoulder. The man asked the boy to join him. The boy asked the man if he was one of the good guys. He responded, "Yes." He asked if he was carrying the fire. The man responded that he was, in fact, carrying the fire. He told the boy they had two kids joining him as well. With that, the boy decided to join them, saying goodbye to his father one last time, looking on to his new life. In the movie, they make this other man look disgusting. (laughs) And if I had never read the book, I would say that the boy was probably going to get murdered by that man. Yep. That was my vibe, too. Yeah, the movie, the movie, movie does it makes it seem like he's about to get caved, but in the in the book, it's kind of I feel like the book is inferring that that's a good guy. When I I looked on some reviews online, some people were debating whether that guy was ultimately a good guy or not. It the 
it seems to me like he's a good guy. Like I think he goes out of his way to. Like, well, it was interesting because that they he says in the book and in the movie that they were following him and they were kind of waiting for the man to die because they kind of caught that maybe the man was evil, whereas the boy was was the good guy. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I picked up on. Yeah, the combination of like yeah. the angelic glowing when the in the book and then at the end of the movie when they're like yeah when they're like waiting for him to die and you get a ton of i didn't realize it during the movie but you get a ton of glimpses of them following them even from like the beginning like there's the dog barking when they're in the cellar and the the boy following because that was the same boy that was following them i didn't realize good point yeah i i think the boy was this isn't the point i was going to make but i think the boy was different in the the book and yeah. the movie kind of did it differently. I think the boy in the book, not the boy, but the boy that the boy sees. I think the boy um, is <laughs> so hard to talk about. I think it is the boy seeing himself without his father. So it's almost like the fears that he would have uh, when he's all alone. And it's it's foreshadowing. It's him seeing himself alone in the future. Um, what was I going to say? Shit. I forgot. I'll think of it again. Shall we go into our uh, our scores and reviews? That seems like a good point to do that. Yeah. Anyone have uh, inclined to go first? Uh, I can I can go first. I don't really know what I'm going to say. Um, I haven't even thought of the score. <laughs> uh, I'll just start talking. Uh, okay. I thought this book was really average. Um, I think, like, from a plot standpoint, it took a really long time for the plot to start to develop. Uh, I almost, I almost wish there were more uh, circumstances of them running into trouble, uh, such as the basement part um, and the the part at the start of the book where the father shoots the man that uh that tries to lure them in with them uh besides those two parts and then some sprinkled around the ending the man getting shot the thief eli there's really not a whole lot of interaction with other characters and therefore you kind of just get bored it's looking for food finding food going to the coast being back on the road etc 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 uh so I thought it dragged a little bit. I <clears throat> I thought the symbolism uh, was great. I think Cormac McCarthy does a good job with like some of the deeper meaning in the book. Uh, it's obviously very religious in nature. I think like the parts that are easy for us to understand are are the boy um, being uh, a religious figure, uh, being goodness, and the father. Uh, showing another side of love in that he would do anything for the boy and because of that he's not so much of that religious figure uh more so of his protector who's also capable of doing really evil things and then there's some symbolism that i think uh we have a tough time understanding maybe that's the point uh maybe some of it is supposed to be open-ended and left up to the reader's uh interpretation i liked the ending 
I thought it was a fairly happy ending. I think it's what we expected the whole story. Uh, I think at a certain point you understand that the father is going to die and that the boy is going to be on his own. Uh, but you don't see this this twist in the end. Um, and I think this is what I was going to say. Um, I think that in the end, you see that the father's what he thought of as his strength uh, in that he was suspicious of everything, would trust no one and look out for only his and the boy's survival ended up being his weakness. And the boy's strength, which the father somewhat ignored and failed to understand completely, uh, turned out saving him in the end uh, in in this open ended ended ending, which really I took as the boy was saved uh, because of his own charity and goodness. And other people saw that in him and uh, kind of that karma aspect that that Jared talked about uh, paid off. Um, still kind of average. It was kind of enjoyable, sometimes boring. Uh, I. I'll put it at six flat. Um, I think that's a really average score based on, I know that five flat is supposed to be our, our average uh, meter, but based on my other scores, I think six is probably average. And that's what I'd, I'd put it at. Pretty average. Am I supposed to talk about the movie? If I'm supposed to talk about the no, movie, not, not the movie. Not yet. Okay. Not yet. Okay. It's just strictly the book. Uh, with that, I can go next since I'm probably going to echo a lot of what you said. Um, I thought the open-endedness of the book, the fact that we got like one character's name and it was an old man that appeared on like 10, 15 pages, and that was the only name we got in the entire book, so you don't really get the characterization of like names throughout the entire book. And then the fact that you never you never learn in terms of the post-apocalyptic side of this book, you never learn what happened. Uh, so that's all open-ended. Then the ending is pretty open-ended. There's just a lot that McCormack, is that how you say it? <laughs> no, Cormac oh, McCarthy, not Mick Cormack. Uh, he, leads, he leads a lot of things up to interpretation, which I actually... I find it enjoyable and also not enjoyable because it kind of pisses me off at some points when you're like, like, make it make sense what is happening. But at the same time, it allows you like, then you can start theorizing and you could make up some crazy conspiracy theories in terms of just in all facets of the book, like the characters, what they represent, the what the post post apocalyptic event represents at the beginning, the ending, what happens at the end. So he does leave a lot of it up to interpretation. I actually read the entire second half, so page 138 to the end in one sitting. And Cormac McCarthy's style of writing was so weird. Like, I wanted to keep reading because I was like, something is going to happen. Like, he has me kind of on edge. And then nothing nothing would ever happen. So I don't know if I, how I feel about that part. Like, I, keep, I kept thinking there was going to be some sort of, like, action with... We obviously got the part in the beginning when the man shoots the other man in the head. But... I was expecting there to be more chaos between the man and the boy, like fighting outsiders and stuff. But all in all, I would say I enjoyed this book. 
I have like such mixed <laughs> mixed emotions because like I enjoyed reading it, like I wanted to keep reading it, and then at the end I was kind of disappointed. But then at the same time I was like, wow, this is open ended. Like, what did all this stuff really mean? So I found myself going back and like trying to think about what it meant, but then ultimately couldn't figure it out. <laughs> so where am I now? <laughs> um, just based off of other scores, I thought this was better than average personally, and. It was one of our first fiction books, so I don't really have a ton to base this off of. And then there were none. Shit book. This thought was better. Um, Ag Agatha Christie walked so Cormac McCarthy could run, though. 1939. Uh, so I think I'm going to give this overall a 7.5 just because it did want me to keep turning the pages. And I did like looking at the symbolism of the characters and just everything involved because it was so... It was so gray, just like the movie, but then the simple mention of like apples or uh, characters that kind of kept my brain turning. So seven, five is my score. All right. Thank you. I guess I could go next. Uh, a lot of a lot of mixed thoughts, like you guys said. Um, some some complaints I had with the book. I I don't like the dialogue. I think ultimately it's a stylistic choice why he made the dialogue that way. But that doesn't mean necessarily that I had to like it. Uh, I think I think he does it that way, if I were to guess, because he wants actions to speak louder than words in his own book. And uh, ultimately, they do. But it doesn't necessarily like like I said, I, I do like to be characters for, to be more fleshed out. I think he could have fleshed out some more characters and you can definitely that's primarily done through dialogue. So um, I would have appreciated a different style of dialogue. It's just not for me. Um, some other things I don't like, uh, too much symbolism. I think you, it almost gets mentally exhausting with how much symbolism there is because you're constantly trying to think how things apply to broader things. And that can get exhausting. You have such a simple plot. Like the plot is not complicated at all. Like Christian talked about, it's kind of just basic in all, all forms, but, um, and then, but you're constantly having to think about how things apply to religion or all the things that we talked about during this meeting so um you know i found that exhausting and like i said i didn't like the dialogue uh those are my two complaints about it um the symbolism that is provided is pretty good i think i think he he's trying to tell a clear picture and there's a lot to like about the way he's talking about the world one of a lot of the reviews. This is an addition. A lot of the reviews I read were talking about how much this impacted them as a father, like this book meant to them as a father. I think that's a point in life that none of us can appreciate. But when I started thinking about it, like last night, I guess I kind of get it, right? Because we talk about the cynicism that the father has and how much he has to battle that, um, and compared to his kid who sees the world through such a new and exciting lens, which is. Uh, an interesting thought, and I think I also read that Cormac based a lot of the dialogue based on conversations he had with his own child, so that was very interesting. Um, yeah, a lot of mixed thoughts. I, It's tough to review this because how much I enjoy it and what I would rate it on a, like, as an analytical, if I was to put it in, like, a English lit class are very different. I think I'm going to lean towards the latter half because I think that's more fair, just because you can't just because I don't like it, I don't want to rate it necessarily bad because I think it's really well written for what he's going for, if that makes sense. With that, I'll give it a seven. Straight seven. Rookie score. 
right down the middle. Oh, wait, no. Never mind. I lied. <laughs> right down the middle of a uh, 6-7-5. Just realized I rated this book under the great game. That's really unfortunate. Well, you no, can you change didn't. it. You still got time. Oh, fine. No, you didn't. Oh, yeah, six, you did. Two. Yeah, that's not six. There you go. Six one. Just put it. Six, yeah. just six, put it six two. There you go. Okay, um, that leaves me. I think I echo a lot of what you guys said. Jared, I think you can't, we're not letting you rate it because the current score is good enough. <laughs> oh my man, this is a six nine, Jared. If you can't see. Yeah, it. I can see it. Uh, got me. <laughs> this favorite number. Fa- favorite number. Favorite position for Tyler. Jokes on you. He's ranking at a six nine. Yeah, I actually was going to. That's the funny thing. <laughs> or even get into it, but I mean, I'll, I'll keep it that. But, uh, I guess I'll get into my thoughts. I think Kevin put it be- best. Like, I, this book was like a page turner in the fact that I didn't want to stop reading it, but like I was never like fully invested in it. If that makes sense. Like, I I wanted to keep reading because I thought something was going to happen, and nothing ever ended up happening, and I was a little bit disappointed in that aspect of it. Um, I think it was really well written too. Like Tyler said, I think obviously Cormac McCarthy is a legendary author. You know, it's, you know, it's, you're going to get a good book out of it. I've never looked up so many words while reading a book than in this in this book because there was some vocab that I just never had heard before, and I just wanted to make sure I was trying to understand it right. Um, so I think it's very well written. I think that's a great pro to it too. And Tyler touched on the symbolism. There's obviously a ton of it in here. I think it almost leans to going too much symbolism, like Tyler said. Um, and that can be a good thing and a fault because it keeps people engaged and people try to look out for the the tinier things of the book. But at the same time, it, like Tyler said, it becomes exhausting. And I think I kind of got that a little bit towards the end where I kind of gave up on rereading it multiple times just because I was like, if I'm not going to get it now, like, am I ever going to get it? So I just kept on reading. Um, some cons. I thought it was like, I think we all mentioned this, but it's like a very depressing book. It's a lot of monotonous same day, like Groundhog Day type writing and i think like christian said it could use a little bit more climactic points obviously i know that's not what cormac wanted in his style of writing or else he would have done something differently but i think i would have benefited a little bit more from a little bit more of the from the same day dialogue and i didn't really love the dialogue like tyler said it was really dry and obviously there's a stylistic choice within that it just maybe wasn't something that i preferred um and I think it was hard to connect to the the characters, like Tyler said. We're at age different age demographic. We're not either a child or uh, an old man, like the man. Sometimes we're a child, but uh, it was hard to connect with the characters just because of the dry dialogue, and you, we were just different ages. So like, it, I never had that chance to connect with them. That being said, I already said I was going to score it a six nine before the book club average was, and I looks like I end up right in the middle here, uh, six nine. That was my score. Um, yeah, I would definitely recommend it to those who like science fiction. I think it's another good dystopian type book. It's definitely a page turner. I can't tell. I don't think it's a thriller. I would rec- I would say it isn't that. It's not a thriller, but definitely keeps you on your toes. There's this angst in the, the environment that you can sense. But yeah, first book of uh, 2024 lands at a 6.9. So. Puts it at ninth place out of 14 on the list. So somewhere in the middle. Our highest fiction book, though. So. Highest fiction book. Only had, oh, had to beat. Only had to only had to beat Agatha Christie out, but still. Uh, <laughs> Racist. Yeah. So that was our scores.
why don't we uh, go straight into the movie now? I know uh, if you haven't watched the movie and you you're planning on watching it, stop right here, go watch it, and then come back uh, because we're going to be discussing the book and the movie and comparing them both. Um, so yeah, anyone have any? Uh, I know we have a lot of opinions on the movies. I know Christian looks like he's dying to to get something out, so I'll let him uh, take take the reins on this. Uh, I mean tyler discussed this but it's it was the most average movie i've ever seen in my life i think there's there's nothing great about it and there was nothing really bad about it and in that it was bad i think um it's just hard to sit through an average movie i don't know that's my thoughts i don't have much on the movie it was just it was what it was to add to christian's point I, I was talking because I heard someone say this before. The worst type of movie is a painfully average movie because if you're watching a bad movie. You can acknowledge it's bad and laugh at the terrible parts about it. If you watch a good movie, obviously you're enjoying it for how good it is. If you watch this movie, you just sit there and I had no thoughts. I was just sitting there. I was just sitting there with no thoughts in my head the entire time. I mean, I guess we've read the books. So we know what happens, but like I was still looking for like things to enjoy about it, but like I just, I couldn't. I just thought it was so average. <laughs> They're reading lines like straight from the book that I had already read, and I'm just like, well, yeah. <laughs> like, I knew that was coming. Yeah. I, I, I had it in the background. Like, I was doing stuff on my computer and like watching it, and like, I think I almost fell asleep in the middle of it. Like, I was that, like, <laughs> or maybe because I knew what was going to happen. Like, there wasn't any like anxiety. Like on what was gonna happen because I knew what was gonna happen. Like the scene in the house in the basement was was kind of anxious. Like that was a cool scene, but like the rest of the movie was just like, eh. Like I was talking talking to Tyler about this earlier. The CGI was god awful. Like I know it was two thousand seven, but like it looked like it was like a green screen in the background. Like I couldn't like get that out of my mind when I was looking at it. And I was like, this is just the like bad. Like the movie really uh reinforced my point that the plot was very basic because when you watch it in a movie format when there's not that like you can't really go into third person and explain what's going on and uh like so there's not those background thoughts that Cormac was providing throughout the thing like it really reveals how actually basic the plot was and then so when you take out all of the things that made the book sort of interesting on the back like it you just watch the movie and you're like okay well that's the plot you know, that's a good point. I don't go ahead, Kevin. I was just gonna say it was such a gray movie too. Like the only light, the only, uh, the only like visual color was the fire from like lighters and like fire, but everything else is gray. So it's I, just so boring. We talk about like, I've, I've heard people talk about like, should movies be in black and white anymore just for stylistic? That's actually a movie that actually could be in black and white. And it would make sense to me. Yeah. There were some flashback moments with like a lot of color um between him and his wife, but uh obviously the happier times. Yeah. yeah, like it makes sense, but it just was painful to watch sometimes. The movie the movie also focuses on those flashbacks so much. Like they take up yep. a large portion of that movie. In the book it's like a paragraph. And it's an important paragraph, but it's a paragraph, you know. I was wondering what the the budget of the film was it was only 25 million i was gonna say if this budget is anything over 50 million this is criminal based on what we saw on the screen but it was only 25 million so i mean that's still a pretty high budget for 2006 though i mean this 
It's not a triple yeah, but a film, but if you, look at, if you look at other dystopian like science fiction films, they're usually pretty high budget. Yeah. I mean I I like so the acting was good. I thought I thought both actors were pretty decent. I don't think there's anything wrong with the acting or anything. It was just like so that's what we were talking about. The plot was just so basic. And then when you translate to that movie where the dialogue is again basic, like you're just sitting there like, uh it's like I mean it almost felt like paint drying at some points. It was uh no wonder kylie fell asleep i don't blame her yeah, fell asleep so fast she was she's watching uh made a comment about the wife she said i would fuck her i didn't say anything back but okay yeah i kind of agree um and then she was audibly upset with the boy she said when he said papa i was like okay yeah i agree with that too he's annoying i mean did you was so let's talk differences between the book and the film you got what did you guys notice the thief they, they the thief like christian said <laughs> what, what about christian said <laughs> yeah uh they we should have our resident, we should have our resident expert brandon cousins uh, make a statement on that he didn't have thoughts is that what it was yeah they took to stereotyping the thief yeah, it was it was a very it was a did. very weird choice. Oh, was he wearing a ski mask? <laughs> we don't support uh, we don't support the stylistic choices by uh, by director John Hillcoat in this movie. Do you guys realize they changed the plot of like when he goes to the boat to a little bit? Yeah, completely. And, and the childhood home. Yeah, they also leave out like the infant they never come across, the burned infant. No, it did. No, they did. It was just at a different time. They showed like the fire, and there was like a small corpse there. It was at a different time, though. That I was like a little caught off guard because it was like before than I thought it was going to be. I don't remember it, but maybe yeah, totally. I don't really remember that yeah. either. But um, there's probably parts I zoned out, so maybe maybe you can't came on those parts. Um, what other differences did I really? I just from an environment perspective, did like the visuals that were on screen, did they match what you were kind of thought when you were reading? It looked more like Pacific Northwest versus like Northeast from which I thought it was. And I looked it up to see where it was filmed and it was filmed in Oregon. So yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's just me being picky, but like you'd think they'd film it in Maybe. like Tennessee, Tennessee or somewhere, but it was filmed in Oregon. When they showed like the Oregon. map, when they showed the map, it looked to be somewhere on the eastern coast. I remember the water being on the right-hand side. They also added... Um, remember the scene where they're in the house and they found the bodies underground? Like, they like found, the chained up. Yeah, and then in the movie, they go upstairs and hide. Yeah. And that was just an addition yeah. purely for tension. Like, because in the book, yeah. they immediately run out of the house. Which is, you know, yeah. it was clearly added for tension. I get why they did it. It's not like, it doesn't change the way I see it, but it was weird. Something I didn't notice in the book, but it was mentioned, but I just didn't understand it, was the the people missing their thumbs. Like how half the people they encountered were missing their thumbs. And I, I just didn't understand that at all. In the book, they mentioned it too, like the guy that they 
the thief, he was missing his thumbs. They said something about him having like a spatula hand. And I have no idea why that was a thing. Could have died. I had no idea. People kept going, like people kept waving and they'd just be like, hi. And they just had little nubs. And I was like, what the what's going on? I don't remember. Notice that. Any other yeah. thoughts? Also, another thought. What's our score on the book? Oh, go ahead, Kev. My uh another thought. Are we becoming desensitized? Because all these reviews that I read about like the book and the movie are like, oh my god, this is the most tragic thing ever. Like, I'm gonna have nightmares about this book from like 2010. Like, I'm looking at reviews right now from 2010, and they're like, that book gave me nightmares. Most depressing thing I've ever read. And I'm like, well, I mean, I get it's like a sadder story, but I would say social media may have rotted our brains a little bit. Yeah, I almost thought to myself during the movie that I need like more gore. <laughs> Yeah, like actually. <laughs> well, Kevin made a comment. Like, need... Sorry, he's like, "This is going to be a waterworks." And I was like expecting to cry, and I was just like, "Oh, he's yeah." yeah. It's like okay. <laughs> yeah, but... like Mar Marley and me over here, and I thought it was going to be like a box of tissues next to me. I just kept waiting for that moment. I was ready to cry too, trying to get let some emotion out, and then I was just like, I finished, and I was like, "Huh." <laughs> The movie did, like, the movie did end very abruptly. I also, I think, I think, um, I think the book did a much better job at developing the kid, like, to his final, you know, end where he can finally venture out on his own. Dude. Like, he actually, like, the character arc in the book makes sense. Like, they started, the author starts it way earlier. Like, I feel like in the movie, the kid was useless until, like, the last 20 minutes. And it's like, it's, sick. it's like, yeah. okay, I don't believe that character arc because you started it so late in the story. Like in the book, you get like chapters and chapters of the boy slowly starting to, you get him where he's starting to look at the bodies, you know, he's, he's starting to criticize his dad. Like it, it happens over time in the movie. It just feels like his dad gets sick and then he starts figuring it out. He doesn't even really figure it out. He just brings him a cup of water. That's the only thing I remember doing that was somewhat productive. It was just our group score group score for the movie. Average. Yeah, yeah average. I was gonna say four point nine. I was gonna say five flat. Five five five. No thoughts. I would never rewatch that movie in my life, but <laughs> anybody rewatching that movie. Also, it was the hardest movie to find. I had to like stream it from somewhere. I, I watched it on one, two, three movies with banged up audio. It was like someone recording the audio through speakers. <laughs> <laughs> I used the app that Jared had mentioned, but I needed to do a seven-day free stars trial, but my card, like, I had to file a fraud. So the, the <laughs> local down. Your credit card. No, it was oh, that that Roku and from oh the Roku one. I see. Oh wait, no. So local now. I tried and then it kept saying error with the display. So I had to go to, I had to go to st a free seven day stars trial through Amazon, and they have the card they have on file is like a dated card. So I guess I have seven days and then they can't charge me. So I can't if I forget it's whatever. I see. I thought you were talking about like one of the illegal streaming sites, and then like you just put your credit card information. <laughs> I was like, you should probably cancel that credit card now. 
That's funny. All right. Uh, average. <laughs> hey, what's wrong with average? <laughs> Nothing at all. Sometimes that's all you need. <laughs> Nothing at all. All right. Well, good. That's a good. Uh, like a good. Uh, seltzer water in our mouth to clear our palate for the one whatever, last thought. I, I would be discouraged from like having a session on like book versus movie moving forward just because of this movie. Yeah. I feel like as in watching the movie, if yeah. we know it's probably not going to be great. Yeah, that's fair. I think Killers of Killer the Flower Moon made sense because it was a new movie and it had like a great director. Like we kind of figured it was going to be good. And like, you know, we went into it. It's a new movie. This I I don't know if I was even excited to watch this. And then I was less excited watching it. And then I was just like, I don't know if to I be fair, the movie it. had decent reviews. It did. It's seventies yeah. on Rotten Tomatoes. Like I thought it was going to be decent. Like it was average. So I got it. we did we did do Cinderella Man too. So I think that's what sparked Cinderella Man was definitely better better than this movie yeah. in terms of comparing it to the book. I don't even remember watching that to be honest. <laughs> it's the Russell Crowe one. Yeah, it was more of a more of a love story. The, the love story. Oh yeah, yeah. Lisa had at least had. Some like it kept me interested at least. All right, all right, and with that, it's time. <laughs> it's time. <laughs> the main event of you. presented by Evan. You have your list anywhere? Yeah, it's on the wheel. I also put pictures of the covers of the books on it. Ooh. I'm so scared looking at this first. This first. <laughs> 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 Even hey. Copperhead has to. It's been on the. I had an option to vote for it. It's been on the wheel like three hey. times. Hey, Brazel. <laughs> yeah. Okay, wait. So I have to bring up a slight concern. So Cloud Cuckoo Land. Mm. Uh, um, Cloud Cuckoo Land. That book is six hundred twenty-six pages, but I heard about it from a friend, and it uh, it's actually really interesting. So there's three separate parts, and it's like a science fiction. His it's historical fiction, uh, like fiction and science fiction all in one book. So the first part is about fourteen fifty-three Constantinople, <laughs> and it's like a historical fiction. <laughs> Okay. And then the middle part is like present day in somewhere, and then the third part is like science fiction, like a futuristic universe, which I just thought was funny because fourteen fifty three. But are all these fiction, awesome. Kevin? Um, golden, yeah, yeah, all of them are. Icebreaker is so insane. <laughs> I I've I've seen like three or four girls in coffee shops reading it, and I've seen it at like Target on like the the uh. Colleen Hoover, like woman's female literature section. So, so which one are we uh, omitting? I uh, probably Cloud Cuckoo Land because it's um, six hundred twenty-six pages. I mean, uh -oh. Golden Compass is 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 like reading Narnia. I mean, that's that's children's book. All right, put Cloud Cuckoo Land on there. It won't get chosen anyways. <laughs> okay, we'll see. Wait, would, would you guys rather have? Go Let's vote between Cloud Cuckoo Land and Golden Compass. I can also give you a. I can also just put a separate opposition. I have another backup. What's your backup? What's the backup? Give me two seconds. 
What the hell is this icebreaker shit? <laughs> There's no way it gets chosen, right? Oh my god. If my parents see me going around the house with this book, I'm gonna get roasted. Here's the thing. Um uh after after this, the next wheel, we're we're all gonna have a say. So this is this is the last wheel where we could probably get really screwed. I'm oh. open for Demon Copperhead. We've had it on the on the wheel so many times. Demon Copperhead's like five hundred. 40 pages, but I assumed it was fine because all of us have wanted to read it. That's fine. Yeah. Um, pages Tyler put me to be honest. I don't imagine me gone as the fifth choice instead of Golden Compass. So we're getting rid of both Golden Compass and yeah. Cuc- and Cuckoo Land. Uh, Cuckoo Land. Land. Yeah. yeah. Cuckoo Land gone. What's it's the name of the band? And fuck, I already forgot. And then the no. <laughs> <laughs> imagine me gone imagine it was a recommendation me gone is what type of book is that also fiction oh, that one's what? that one's told from like five different there's like five characters in it and you get a pers- like you get each character's perspective so that'll be interesting forget that all right icebreaker is literally a high school musical it's a it's about a hockey player and a figure skater where did you even find these novels the icebreaker, I've literally seen like three girls in coffee shops reading them, and then I've seen it at Target. Going to middle school? No, they were they were adults. Can we get rid- heard this? Can we get rid of icebreaker and add all the compass back? I heard there's a chance it's a smut book, which I just found out about the other day. Oh my god, we're gonna have to talk sex on here. <laughs> I don't mind that. Who better? Who better? It's a TikTok viral sensation. What is this? <laughs> I actually can we put Golden Compass back in there? I'm voting to put Gold Compass Dude, back in. There's a there's only a twenty percent chance. There's no way. No, it's like leave, leave Levi's. Hey, it's my choice. You have no say. Yep, I understand. I understand. I told Wheels just we okay. I'm spinning. We get it. You can have the same reaction as I had the 1453. Babel Babel has good reviews. We'll read. We'll 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 break down the top three. Let's wheel this. Let's let's see what we're dealing with here. Imagine me gone. First right, well, off the board. Didn't, didn't want it anyway. Didn't want it anyway. We'll we'll break down the final two. Demon Copperhead is gone. Oh, oh, no. This thing cannot win. A- <laughs> Lifetime record of zero and ten. Uh, <laughs> Demon Copperhead is Michael Sinclair. I'm gonna pull up. No, I'm gonna pull up icebreaker summary. <laughs> Anastasia Allen has worked her entire life for a shot at Team USA, a competitive <laughs> figure skater since she was five years old. A full college scholarship, thanks to her place on the Maple Hill skating team, and a schedule that would make even the most driven person weep. Stacy comes to win, no exceptions. Nathan Hawkins has never had a problem he couldn't solve. As captain of the Maple Hill Titans, he knows the responsibility of keeping the hockey team on the ice. If the hockey team rests on the no shoulder, and a misunderstanding results in the two teams sharing a rink, and Anastasia's parents get hurt in the aftermath, Nate finds himself swapping his stick for tights, and one scary coach, or an even scarier. <laughs> The pair find themselves stuck together in more ways than one pause, but it's fine because Anastasia doesn't even like hockey players, right? 
All right, read Babel. What is Babel about? <laughs> I couldn't even think. I can't even think. What is Babel about? Um, <laughs> my mind is broken. 1828, Robin Swift orphaned by Gloria in Canton is brought to London by the mysterious Professor Lavelle. There he trains for years in Latin, ancient Greek, and Chinese, all in... Okay, basically, I don't I don't want to read all this. I heard that it's about, like, it's like a fantasy book, but it uses language as kind of, like, their way of... That's, like, the magic in their world. So it's about, like, language and, like, how language... I don't know. It's not important. Icebreaker's gonna win. We're gonna get Icebreaker anyways. Alright, whoever this land on is not the winner, remember that. So Wait, pause. Can I read the last line of Icebreaker one more time? The pair find themselves stuck together in more ways than one, but it's fine. Because Anastasia doesn't even like hockey players, right? (laughs) Whoever this lands on is not the winner will be the last book standing. I am spinning the wheel. Thank God. Oh my God. Thank God. God. Oh my God. Thank God. The wheel. I love you, the wheel. Oh, we get to read a fantasy book. Thank God. I'm so happy right now. Hey, it's actually that got good reviews. How many pages is it? 540. It's okay. Four meeting. Four meeting. Do you want me? Do you want me well, to read? See how big it is. We'll see how big it is. But yeah, let's let's read the synopsis really quick. All right. Um, eighteen twenty-eight. Robin Swift, orphaned by Gloria in Canton, is brought to London by the mysterious Professor Lavelle. There he trains for years in Latin, ancient Greek, and Chinese, all in preparation for the day he'll enroll in Oxford University's prestigious, prestigious, well, Royal Institute of Translation, also known as Babel as Tyler likes to call it, Babel. The tower and students are the world's center for translation and, more importantly, magic. Silver working, the art of manifesting the meaning lost in translation using enchanted silver bars, has made the British unparalleled in power as the arcane craft serves the empire's quest for colonization. This is, like, making no sense to me as I read it. For Robin, (laughs) is a utopia dedicated to the pursuit of knowledge. The knowledge obeys power. And as a Chinese boy raised in Britain, Robin realizes serving Babel means betraying his motherland. As his studies progress, Robin finds himself caught between Babel and the shadowy Hermes Society, an organization dedicated to stopping imperial expansion. When Britain pursues an unjust war with China over silver and opium, Robin must decide. Can powerful institutions be changed from within? Or does revolution always require violence? Oh, okay. I think this is this we this is uh, bringing up a topic that we had talked about before the Opium Wars that was mentioned in the Great Game. So it sounds like this is historical fiction based off of that. So I'm interested. Also, we're back to a female author. As I say, our second female author. Our um, Huang. Is this is this considered fantasy? What? It says fantasy under. Uh, Goodreads, and it was nominated for the best fantasy of 2022. So nice. Okay, yeah, I've heard good things. This one was recommended to me as well. So I mean, I'm I'm actually sort of excited to read this. I've heard it's like so. Me too. From what I heard, it's like the language is the magic, and like all everybody just wants to be like the most knowledgeable person to speak all these languages, which just baffles me. Languages equal power. 
like in a time today where there's less and less languages every day it feels like but yeah should be interesting shout out icebreaker pour one out for them i think we survived another kevin massacre anastasia doesn't like hockey players right all right uh jared Nichols. that would actually be hilarious so we probably we might have gone viral on tiktok if we started reading that <laughs> oh god <laughs> our takes would have been we would have had some hot takes flying out of yeah there. we might have yeah we might have been attacked by the the congregate of uh the swifty equivalent of icebreakers the icebreakies yeah all right um with all that that was uh the episode for today um we knew it was super jam-packed but yeah, now we have our second book of 2024, Babel. Look at us, two fiction books to start off 2024, more than we already read in 2023. So look mm-hmm. at us, we're, we're adapting, we're evolving. Um, so yeah, so looking forward to another great episode next week, and we'll catch you guys. Bye. Peace.